0: I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for the drive to work. Okay, so today's topic is based on a conversation uh, on Twitter. So somebody was talking about how do we cost cards. Um, and they sort of the question was the process by which we do it. And they outlined a bunch of different ways. And so anyway, it inspired me to talk about how do we cost cards. And so that is today's topic. So I'm going to talk all about how we cost cards. Um, I should stress that we're starting to get a little bit out of my area of expertise. Um, but we do make cards in vision design. We do cost them. So, I mean, I, I have some working knowledge of how we do this. But uh, this is not... I'm not the an expert card cardcofter. But uh, anyway. Okay. So the first thing I want to explain is I think there are three myths about how we cost cards that I want to sort of address. Um. Myth number one is this idea that there is a singular way we cost cards, that like there's a formula or there's some sort of like uh, precise way, and then every time we cost cards, we use the same structure. Not true. We cost cards a lot of different ways, which I will go over today, but it is not a, a uniform thing. It's not as if there's a single way to cost cards. Uh, the second thing is the myth that cards are costed in a vacuum, in the sense that, I sort of figure out what the card would be optimized for itself, and I don't think about anything else around it. Not remotely true. Um, as you will see today, there are times where we sort of we cost them in a vacuum, but that's not when we're getting their final cost. Um, you no, know, as you will see today, one of the big themes is when you cost cards, it matters other cards that we expect to be played with it. That matters very much. Um, and the third myth is the idea that you just cost cards once, and then that is it. As if there's a, a, like, there's only one true cost of the card, you figure it out at one point in time, and then it never changes. Uh, the, the reality is, trying to figure out the cost of something actually takes a lot of time and evolves over time. It is not as if our first stab at what the cost is, is always the right thing. A lot of costing is, is playtesting and figuring out if what you thought might be right is actually right. OK, so to explain card costing, uh, I'm going to go back a little bit and talk about sort of when and how cards get made and how they're costed at the time they're made, because it changes as the as the process goes, goes along. Um, OK, so the earliest card costing will happen in exploratory design. Um, so what happens in exploratory design is we are usually testing areas like, oh, uh, you know, here's the theme of the set. What mechanics make sense for that theme? Or we're returning to a world and we want to reinforce something. You know, uh, Exploratory is always sort of looking for the new space and the new thing and trying to understand the, the parameters of what we could do. So part of that is there's a lot of mechanic building that goes on in Exploratory design um, where you're trying to test things out. And the card, the card design in Exploratory is mostly proof of concept, meaning here's an idea for a mechanic. I made some cards with it to sort of feel off the mechanic. Um, one of the things that's very true, by the way, is you can theory, you can theory craft. I mean, you can talk about a mechanic in concept, but it's not until you actually go to make the, you know, you make the mechanic and you see the, the actual challenges of making it when you try to make a card out of it that you really first begin to understand the, the dynamics of what are the challenges of the mechanic. You know, some things that might feel e- really easy to design... Or not. So the example is, um, uh, I don't remember the name of it. There's a mechanic for the Demir Cipher was the name of the mechanic. Uh, and the idea was, it went on spells, uh, and then when you cast it, you then sort of exiled it. It sort of uh, connected it to a creature. And then that creature, whenever it dealt combat damage to an opponent, did that effect. And in a vacuum, Cipher felt like really cool, and really something that was, oh, we can make infinite cards with this. Um, but as we started to make cards with it, what we realized is it had to be an effect that you wanted as a whole card. Um, and then it had to be an effect that made sense after combat, like a lot of effects. Like for example, things that affect combat, you don't want after combat. So, for example, giant growth is a very uninteresting effect if I get the giant growth after I've dealt damage to my opponent. Oh, I hit you, and now, after it doesn't really mean much, I get bigger, is not exciting. And so, it was one of those mechanics where the dynamic of how the mechanic worked and the kind of effects we needed ended up shrinking a lot of the space. And so, we realized it was a lot trickier. Anyway, sorry. So, in Exploratory, we're going to design cards, proof of concept. Now, we do have to cost them because we do want to play them. We do play testing at every level of design. Uh, And so, this is, when I talk about designing in a vacuum, this is the one time the Exploratory design, sometimes early vision, is the one time you you cost in a vacuum and what i mean by that is well you don't know anything yet like an exposure design there's no file yet you're just sort of making a card so when you're costing those cards you're just looking at what exists like a, a real common tool when you're costing cards um, is to use a database right to go look at for example let's say i'm i have a new mechanic and i want to put it on a 2-2 flyer Okay, well, the first thing I want to do is go look at—in in blue, let's say. I, well, go look at blue. What does a 2-2 flyer cost in blue? What have we made? And you want to look in the more recent time, you know, the last couple of years, because things will evolve over time. Something we did back in the, you know, the late 90s just might not be relevant to how we cost things today. Um, so when you're costing originally—let's like, say I'm costing a card in Exploratory— um, a, I have some general sense of what cards cost. I've just, I've cost a lot of cards and I've been around. I'm not great at it. I will say that play design, uh, because they cost things all the time, have a general sense. Like if you're messing in a space that they already understand, uh, or in a space that's not too far away of what they can extrapolate to, they have a pretty good sense of what things will cost. Um, and on every exploratory and vision design team, we have a play designer. Uh, specifically to cost cards when we first make them. Um, and the thing about, uh, well, let me finish Exploratory, then I'll get into Vision. So anyway, in Exploratory, I'm going to make a 2U, a 22 that flies. I, I would go look at other things that fly. Um, yeah, now that I think about it, there's always a play designer in Vision. There's not always a play designer in Exploratory. So a lot of times in Exploratory, I'm just using a card database to figure things out and make my stab at it. The other thing about exploratory is I want to get in the loose ballpark, but being exactly right isn't important yet. Because all we're trying to do in exploratory is show off things. And so usually the way we cost cars in exploratory design is just looking at other things that are similar. Okay, so I have a 2-2 flying blue creature with an ability. Brand new ability, but an ability. Okay, well let me look at what 2-2 flying creatures cost. Let me look at 2-2 two, two flying creatures with an ability and just get a general sense of where we cost that, especially over the last couple of years. Um... When we get to vision design, the the thing that changes in vision design is that we're starting to build a file. Uh, In exploratory Design, everything's done in a vacuum, so you you cost in a vacuum. But once you get into vision design, you are now building a file. Now, the very, very early stuff is kind of cost in a vacuum. You have nothing to cost against. But once you start making a file, you now start having things you care about. Um, So in limited and casual constructed, One of the things we care about, and we care about this, I guess, for all things, but when making a set, you want to have what we call a curve, and what that means is if you look at the creatures in any one color, you want to have uh, usually one or two one-drops. You want two or three two-drops. You want two or three three three-drops. You want, you know, two, one to two, four, two, or depending on the color, two to three four drops. Uh, You maybe want a fifth drop. Maybe in certain colors you want a sixth drop. You know, you, you want to have it such that um, in limited, for example, when somebody is playing cards, there's a smooth a smooth progression. For example, let's say we costed everything at 3 mana. Well, you wouldn't have anything to do in the early turns, and you would just start clogging up once you got to 3 mana. And then you'd start having awkward turns at 4 and 5 mana, where, if everything costs 3, where, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm wasting my mana to a certain extent. So one of the things we try really hard to do is we want to, you know, curve things out. So what that means is, when you're making a file, um, you're always conscious of just not what this card is, but what the other cards are around it, right? Um, You know, if I'm making a creature, I want to be on curve, or I want to figure out what we're doing. Um, The other thing is, uh, there are a lot of costing things. So one of the big divides is what I'll say, common and uncommon from rare and mythic rare. The rule of common and uncommon is you cost for limited. Um, that doesn't mean you can't make a constructed card a common or uncommon. Sometimes the cost at, in, for limited and the cost for constructed are the same costs. Um, but uh, the rare, mythic rare, is where you put cards that cost it at the level they need to be costed for constructed causes problems in limited. Um, so one of the, the inherent issues we always have to deal with is the power level of limited. And when I say limited, I also mean casual constructed. One of the things we do when we build limited, the reason we spend a lot of time on limited, and by limited, I mean both sealed and draft, is that the sort of casual play, the I I buy a couple boosters and I play with what I get, and you know, the cards I own format, as I like to call it, that is a very low-powered format that tends to be, hey, what do I own? And that mimics sealed in a lot of ways. So when we're costing for sealed and to some extent draft, we are also costing for sort of very casual constructed. Anyway, um, if you're costing a card at common or uncommon, you need to make sure that the cost makes sense in limited. Um, like I said, there are some effects that you can cost in limited, the same cost that you can cost in constructed. Um, something like giant growth can cost the same. Um, you know, that, that there, there are certain effects that what they're going to be in constructed is what they're going to be in limited. But there's other things like removal. So, for example, uh, in constructed, removal is pretty cheap. It's one or two mana usually, and if it's three or more, there's you're getting something else for it. It's an ETB on a creature. You know, it, it's something in which there's more value beyond just the kill spell. But in limited, you will play kill spells that cost five, six mana. So a lot of times, um, when we're making stuff for limited, you know, we cost it. Like I said, it varies a little bit, but um, we always have to keep limited in mind when doing commons and uncommons. And then rare and mythic rare is where we can put things that are disruptive to limited. Things that don't matter for limited, that play just fine in limited. A lot of times, for example, we can make a good creature that the nature of the creature is not going to cause problems in limited, and so that's okay. Other times, like, no, that's a bomb in limited or will cause a lot of issues. In those cases, um, then we put them on higher rarities. But anyway, so when you're designing at Envision, uh, mostly the issue, so another big issue that comes across is the goal of vision design is not for a balanced environment. You're not trying to figure that out yet. Um, the goal of vision design is that you want to test the cards. You want to make sure that the cards all get played. So what we do for costing in vision is we cost them sort of at the cusp of we'll see play. Every card is costed so it'll see play. Um, Now, we can't do that once we get to set design. Why can't we do that? Uh, There's a couple reasons. One is you want some sort of... um, Well, the first reason is a power level reason. So I'm going to use a metaphor. This isn't exactly how we do things, but it is the easiest way I've learned for people to understand how we do it. Um, So every set has a certain amount of, of... let's call them power points, right? You only get to be so powerful. The general uh, idea is if you don't want power creep to happen, you want the sets to have roughly an equal power level. Now, there are shifts in flux. Not every set's exactly the same as other sets. There's some sets that are a little higher on the pendulum, some a little lower. But in general, there's an average amount of sort of power a second half. When I say power points, we don't actually assign things power points. But if you think of it in the way that every card got assigned them, you can get a general sense of, we only get so many power points. So if we're going to make a card stronger, there's another card in the set that has to be weaker, if you want to think of it that way. That there's an overall balance. And that that balance is, uh, you have to think as a whole. You have to be holistic in thinking about balance. You can't just make two cards stronger and have the balance of the set be the same. That if you're going to make certain cards stronger, other cards get weaker in response. And that is sort of the thing that we have to keep in mind. Um, Anyway, what that means is, That there's not... We we don't have enough power points to make every card at the playable level. Um, We can make cards, and we have done this in the more recent time. We've stopped making cards sort of not at all viable for limited. Um, Some of them are niche, and some of them, you know, are synergistic in a certain way, meaning you'll play them certain things. Um, But anyway, when we cost for vision, we make it a much flatter power curve, and we cost everything at the level by which you'll play it. Um, now, another thing to remember in vision design is when I build a deck in a playtest in vision design, I'm not trying to build the best deck. I'm trying to build a deck that lets me experience the most things. So, for example, one of our rules is you don't tend to play more than two of the same card. So, less the a card is what we call a collect me. Uh, that is sometimes, usually these are a common uh, where you want to have something where you want a lot of the card. The card gets more powerful. Uh, seven Dwarves is a good example from Throne of Eldraine, where, oh, hey, you know, if I'm going to play seven dwarves, I want to play as many seven dwarves as I can, or up to seven. Um, and so Collect Me's, we let you play more, because the whole point of them is to see how they play at larger numbers. But other than Collect Me's, um, usually in Vision Playtests, we say don't play more than two of the same card. If I get three of the same, play, uh, three of the same card in um, Sealed or, or in Draft, and basically, even if the card is really, really good, one of the best cards in the set, I'm not supposed to play the third one. I'm supposed to play a card that I don't know, in, or not don't know, but a card that I haven't played instead. Um, in general, the other thing that I tend to do when I'm playing play tests is I will always choose to play two different cards than the same card twice. The only reason, I actually, I, I sometimes play the same card is if I'm trying out a certain strategy and I want to see if that strategy will work, sometimes the key cards that matter, I'll play two of But normally what I do is I'm trying to understand the dynamic of what cards are, how they play, are they fun. So I want to play a lot of different cards. What that means is costing all the cards at a similar band isn't forcing odd behavior on me. I'm not trying to maximize my choices. When you get to set design, they will. Um, The other thing, by the way, is you want... um, Oh, so here's another really important thing to understand about costing. We have to cost cards at... Uh, full amounts of mana. So, for example, I if I want to cost a card, I could cost it you know at the, with a mana value of one or two or three or four. I can't cost it at two and a half. I can't cost it at two and three quarters. I can't cost it at two and four fifths. And here's the tricky thing: some cards, that's the correct cost. Um, so, one of the challenges when costing cards is that not everything lines up. So, it's maximized at the point it is. And what that means is that some cards, so when you look at a set, there's what I would call sort of the average default power level. There's above average and below average. So when we cost cards, we get to make some cards in the set above the default. We get to make some cards below the default and then some sit at it. Um, and the thing to remember uh, in a trading card game is you are going to make the same effect many, many times. Um, you know, giant, I talked about giant growth before. Every set is going to have its giant growth. You know, green is going to have an instant, that, and sometimes sorcery, that boosts power and toughness. And that is just going to be a thing green does, almost always a common. Sometimes a bigger version, uncommon or rare, but, you know, it's, it's going to have a common giant growth in almost every set. Not every giant growth is going to be of the same value. We're, there's, there's always going to be an ebb and flow to how we do effects and how we do costing, because in any one set, uh, you know, we want in magic, magic to constantly change. One of the ways we do that, and one of the ways we keep uh, power creep from happening, is that any one mechanic will be on its own pendulum of being weaker and stronger. So let's say I'm doing graveyard set. Okay, probably in that set, the cards that are graveyard specific are stronger than normal. That's the theme of the set. We want you to play that. We want constructed maybe to be about that. So we will lean into what the theme of the set is. We will lean away from things that maybe were a previous set or something that we're concerned about or something which we want to sort of trend downward so other things can trend upward. Maybe certain things fight things we're trying to push. So there's a constant change. So when you're costing cards, you're always keeping in mind that dynamic of the set. So, you know, cards aren't always costed the same. Cards aren't always costed in a vacuum because let's say I'm costing my giant growth You know, it might matter in the set I'm doing, is it a more combat-oriented set? Is it, you know... Or maybe it's a set more about the graveyard, so maybe I'm doing a flashback giant growth, although we don't do a lot of those. Uh, But, you know, whatever it is, I'm twisting and and pushing things to match what I'm doing in the set, and that's going to influence how I cost things. So anyway, in vision, we tend to cost things with a flat power level so that we can experience them. Okay, so now let's get to set design. In set design... They want to start getting the file closer to what actually actual... They want to start balancing the file. They want to start figuring out the environment. And so to do that, they need to figure out sort of where they want things to be. And that's when they start sort of gradiating the costing. Like vision, it's all flat. It does not want to be flat in set design. You want to figure out what you're pushing. And you want to make sure the things that are more important are... The cards are pushing you in that direction. And that's another thing to understand about costing is and this is another example where costing isn't in a vacuum, you cost certain things because you want to push players in certain directions. One of the big things, and I talk to this all the time, it is the job of the game designer to figure out where the, play, the fun play is and then make the game design to influence the players in that direction. One of the ways to do that is costing. That if I have a bunch of cards in a set and certain cards are more aggressively costed, you're going to highlight those cards. You're going to draft those cards first. Those cards are going to shape what you build, and so that's a very important tool. So when set design starts costing, they figure out where do they want where do they want to push you, right? They want to get their cost such that the the cards that are most going to influence you are the cards that are pushing the right themes that are going to make you play the way that will lead to the fun version of what's going on. Um, And so a lot of what goes on as they start to balance things is they want to figure out where the fun is. And this is why playtesting is so important because the more they playtest and the more they see the patterns that they like, the more they go, oh, we want to reinforce this. Let's make this effect cheaper. Oh, this is doing something that we don't quite want to do in this environment. Let's make that more expensive. So like I said, there are cards above and below average, but it's not picked at random. The cards above average are pushing in directions you want to push the environment. The cards that are below average are cards that are pushing and not in the direction you want, and so you want to discourage those things. And so a lot of costing in set design has to do with sort of figuring out, is shaping the environment and making the costing push in the direction you want. Um, Another big thing, and I explained this in vision, but let me explain a little more detail now. So I want to make a card. When I make a card, I have to look at the hole I'm putting the card in and what goes around it. Let's say, for example, I'm in set design and the hole is for a three drop. Well, I kind of want to make a three drop, but let's say I make a really cool card that I really like, and when I figure out when I cost it, that the, the, the way it costs, like, I can cost it at two and a half or I can cost it at four. Because I can, I, whenever you're making a card, you can tweak power toughness, you can tweak other effects on it. And so, so for example, there's a card called Fab, the Mechanical Fabricate in Kaladesh, um, uh, and the, uh, um, the, uh, the, the idea of Fabricate um, was that it, you could choose between having plus one, plus one counters or having um, one, one artifact servo tokens. And the idea was that it was always the same number. Oh, it's Fabricate three. I can choose between three plus one, plus one counters or three servo tokens. The problem is, in a vacuum, the servo tokens are a little more powerful than the plus-one, plus-one counters. So in order to encourage you to sometimes think about the plus-one, plus-one counters, um, we had to um, give you something to the creature, flying, first strike, lifeling. Something in which the power of the creature gets stronger the bigger the creature is. So there's an interesting choice to make between, oh, what do I want? But what we found is by the time we sort of built those correctly, uh, there wasn't a lot of give. That getting them to the right place and the right power-toughness combinations tended to force you to a certain combination. Oh, well, if I do this and make it 2, 3, and have this ability and cost it at 4 mana, oh, that's the sweet spot. I've made the card, so it's it's very close to costing exactly 4. Whereas the if I cost it at 3, it doesn't really cost 3. It costs 2.5, so it's a little weak. Um, so sometimes you make cards and they sort of push in the direction in which they lock you in a certain place and so when you do that um, you want to prioritize the ones that are at the cost that you need so sometimes when you design a card it can't be at any cost now other effects are much easier to move around like there's a monstrous in original Theros where um, you when you have something you can uh, monstrous means you pay a cost put some number plus one plus one counters on it you can do this once and then it, it's permanently changed. Um, uh, and, you know, you know, monstrosity is very easy to put on a lot of different cards. You have the flexibility of how many counters you put on it, you have the flexibility of how big the original creature is. So it's a lot easier to make monstrosity cards at different levels. So some effects are very flexible, some effects are not. So what happens when you're making cards, and this happens both in vision and set design, sometimes you make a card and it's in such a manner that, um, you really don't have a lot of choices where it's going to go. So if I make a card and I have a, a slot for a three drop, but I make a four drop because that's the sweet spot of the card, that means I now have to move things around to make the three drop. Maybe I can take one of my four drops and change it to make it a three drop, or maybe it's I have to do a combination of things to get there. Maybe there's no way to make a four drop into a three drop, and I, I make a four drop into a five drop, and I can make one of my five drops into a three drop. And when I say make it, what I mean is change power toughness, change whether it has an ability or not. you can craft the cards to change their sizes. So a lot of costing also has to do with adapting it to fit what's around it, to fit within the limited thing. Now, likewise, there also is this adaptation that happens in Constructing. So let's say I'm making a card for Standard, uh, for a particular deck in Standard, let's say. Well, I want to play that deck with that card, and I'm saying, is this card doing what I want? Like, maybe that card would go in the deck if it's the right cost. Like, oh, this deck kind of doesn't have a good 3-drop. If this card's in that theme in a 3-drop, wow, the deck really wants to play it. But if you make it a 4-drop, now it's fighting with a really powerful card, and maybe it doesn't make the deck because the 4-drop's better than the 3-drop. So when you're making Constructed cards, same thing. You always have to look at the format that you care about uh, the same is true for Commander. The same is true for Modern, for Pioneer. Whatever it is we think we're caring about, you really need to go and look and figure out about how that is going to work. Um, and then you want to put that in in a place where it's fitting what the constructed deck would want. And that's another example where, let's say I'm filling a hole, and like, oh, I want to make this card for Standard. And the right cost for Standard really is being a 3-drop. Um, but if I'm filling a 4-drop, maybe i got to move stuff around. So... You know, the big thing to understand is that the costing is conditional in the sense that you're always sort of caring about what's around it, and you're caring about its function and what it's trying to do. Uh, Another thing that I didn't get too much into, but I'll mention here, is another tool of costing is colored mana. So not only can a, a spell cost two or three or four, but one of the ways that we can tweak a little bit is, if something costs three and a red, that's different than two red red. Two red red is a little bit harder to cast if you're concentrating one color. So for um, constructive purposes, um, it is nice because there is pressure between, do I wanna play one color, wanna play two color? In limited, you kind of by nature, you can't really play one color easily. Um, unless the, the set is set up to help you do that, um, the nature of how colors break out, like only 20% of the cards are any one color. Well, unless I'm, you know, unless I'm one of the sole drafters at the table drafting that color, I often don't have enough cards to play just one color. So at common, uncommon, we're careful about how we use the double-color mana. We will use it at high enough cost. Usually at costs um, at five or above, we feel pretty used to double cost. And sometimes maybe uncommon on four. Um, We want to be really careful below that. Usually if you cost two or three and you have double-color mana, usually that is either for constructed or if the very powerful card is limited, sometimes we'll use that to adjust things in limited, so the cards don't splash beyond where they're supposed to. So we do, we do use double colored mana sometimes to prevent splashing. Um, okay, so you know when you're making your cards and you're costing those cards, you are thinking very much about the use case. You're thinking about what else is in the file. You're thinking about um, what else might be in the deck if it's for constructive purposes. Um, Now, the next thing is playtesting. And this is me getting to the idea that cards... Like, it's not as if we can just sit there... Like, a lot of figuring out a cost is looking at what we know about magic at large. You know, a lot of the play designers... And then, I mean, I have this to a lesser extent, but if you you cost magic cards long enough, um, you start getting a sense of what things cost. Now, whenever we delve into new space you're making educated guesses because we haven't exactly done that thing before. You can compare it to things we have done. And some new mechanics are pretty comparable to old mechanics, and some new mechanics aren't remotely comparable. Um, Normally when you're costing things, you're making a stab at saying, well, this is the closest to what we've done before, and here's how we costed that. Um, But this is why playtesting is so important because what you'll find out is a lot of times we're just off. Um, For example, when we made... uh, When we made buyback, uh, way back in Tempest. When I originally costed cards, I costed the buyback cost uh, at two in my first pass. My thought process at the time was, oh, it's like drawing a card. And if we're going to make a cantrip where you get to draw a card, we add two to it. That's what we did back in the day. Um, So I'm like, okay, well, I'm kind of making this, you know, if I buy it back, I'm kind of making the cantrip. But what I didn't take into account was Hey, 40% of the time, I'm drawing a land if it's a cantrip. You know, some of the time, I'm drawing a card that might not be useful to me. But pretty much, if I'm buying it back, I'm not just drawing a card, I'm drawing this card. And I already know this card has value, because I cast it once. So it turns out that I'm drawing a card that's a little bit more valuable than a random card. So I can't cost it like a random card. Um... But the idea was, I went into it, and I I mean, like, the logic I had at the time, oh, it cost it like a cantrip. This is kind of like a cantrip. If I pay the buyback, I get an extra card. Made sense, but when we started playtesting, you're we like, wow, it's way better than an extra card. It's a very useful card. And so what we found was, like, playtesting showed that the cost was not remotely close. Buyback costs were a lot more. Like, for example, there was a, um, a card where you drew a card, a Whispers of the Muse. And, like, originally, it cost two. It was insanely broken. And then it cost three, still too good. Four, still too good. I, what did we end up costing? Six? Yeah. We ended up costing a lot. And, and the point was, um, you don't really know costing until you play with it. I mean, we make a stab at it. Like, one of the goals for costing is when we play in a playtest, we want it to be as realistic as we can, um, but we usually don't want and we don't want it to break things. Like, one of the things you don't want to do in a playtest is if a card is under a lot of times, all you learn is that card is under It just warps everything around it. So when we're costing originally, mostly what we're trying to cost for is just be enough in the ballpark that it's not going to be disruptive. And then, in playtesting, you'll start to get a sense of where things should be. Now, again, I stress this again, part of playtesting is not just figuring out the, the, the ideal version of the card, but what is the card doing for the set? Is it pushing in the direction we want? Is it kind of fighting the direction as we want? Like, you know, is the card sort of aiding what we're trying to do? Now, obviously, if a card's completely fighting what we're doing, maybe we change the card. Maybe we don't leave the card in. Um, but there's other times where the card, like, is helping, like, Limited kind of needs certain effects, so we do want the effect there, because Limited wants it. But we don't necessarily want it to be too good because of what it's going to do to the Limited environment. So, like, we want it there, but we don't want it aggressive. Um, and so a lot of playtesting is figuring out where things naturally want to be, and uh, another thing that'll happen during late set design is play design gets involved, and play design, in conjunction with set design, starts to figure out what are the cards we're pushing for constructed. What are the, we call them the constructed shots, right? What are the cards? Now, as with anything, we don't know necessarily. Like we're building a system complex enough that we can't solve it, so we don't definitively know. I mean, we know the cards that we think have the best opportunity to be the constructed cards. Um, and sometimes there's cards that are pushed enough like, well, we'll be surprised if it's not a constructed card, but we don't necessarily know everything around it. Like, the, the environment that we're testing is not always exactly the environment that will come to be because a million player, you know, millions of players are going to figure out things that we might not figure out because we made a complex system complex enough that we don't want to be able to figure it out by ourselves. If, you know, our, our, our play design team can crack it, well, millions of players will crack it in two minutes, right? Uh, You know, we want things that have the opportunity that take time to figure out. Uh, And and then, so that is another big part of costing, is playing with cards, figuring out what you want the card to do, and then adjusting the cost based on your goals, based on what you're trying to do. Uh, And that's where colored mana starts to come in. You know, that's when we can, and and then, like I said, rarity sometimes matters. Sometimes it's like, oh, um, for example, there's a thing called a trap uh, we we call uh, for draft. And a, a, what a draft trap is, is it's a card that if you take early on, you're like, oh, here's a cool thing I could do in the draft. This will be very exciting. Except the things you have to do aren't in the draft. The draft can't support it. So if you take that card early, you're sort of getting trapped in something that won't work. So what we try to do is we don't put traps in at uncommon. So if you see an uncommon card, kind of what we're saying is, Hey, you can draft around this. There'll be things there that you can draft around. Um, if we put it at rare or mythic rare, kind of the message is: Look, this is more for constructed than limited. We're not saying you can't do Unlimited, limited, um, but we're not we're not guaranteeing that it's going to be easy to do in limited. And in some cases, it might not be doable at all in limited. For example, Domino United has a cycle of lords. Um, it is very, very hard to do um, themes for creature types if that's not a major theme on the set. Um, Every once in a while, we do a creature-type base set. Uh, but normally, in any one, in most sets, uh, there's maybe one or two creature types that are supported. Usually, we like to have uh, an archetype that's a creature-type archetype, just because people like playing creature-type-themed decks. Um, but when you make, like, a cycle, like Dominion United, there's five of them. It's not a, a, a creature-type-themed set. That means there's just not going to be enough support for those. But those are very people like playing creature-type cards. They're very popular... In lots of constructed formats, especially casual constructed formats. And so we want to be able to we, we want to know that we can make those in a way that those are fun, but we have to stick them somewhere so people can open them. It was a cycle. Cycles are, are hard to fit into Mythic Rare. We do occasionally, but it really has to be a powerhouse cycle to be Mythic Rare. So we put them at Rare because we don't want to put it on Common. We don't want to be a trap in Limited. Um, but we have to put it somewhere because we do want people to open them um, and we do want people to play with them. Um so anyway um th- that that's like I said when you're costing cards you have resources at your hand you can think about rarity you can think about the mana value you can think about colored mana you know there's a lot of different things you can think about um but like I said it is uh, hopefully my my point of today's podcast is really to reaffirm my my three big points that I started with there's no one way to cost cards it matters what else is around it and how you're using it and things will change over time as we learn about them. And so costing is not a one-moment thing. It's an ever evolution of trying things, experimenting, and playing with them and learning over time in conjunction with understanding the environment and the ways it will be played where the right cost is. So anyway, guys, that in a nutshell is how we cost cards. Anyway, I'm now at work. And so um, you know, we all know what that means. It means instead of uh, talking magic, it's time for me to making magic. I'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye.